even some of our church who are struggling with that. So just pray for uh, for all um, who are dealing with the, uh, either directly or indirectly with, with COVID-19. We are praying uh, this week for Techne Ministries or one of our adopted ministries. We have been very involved with Techne over the past several years, uh, but we're going to kind of bring them back to the forefront of just active involvement. I talked to, uh, to Luke about a week ago and don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but I know exactly this. We can pray for them this morning. And uh, if you're not following them on Facebook, if you're on Facebook, I encourage you to do so. They have great weekly updates as to what's happening in their ministry. Uh, and currently, they're in Laramie, Wyoming. And so just pray uh, as God is using Luke and uh, the people of that ministry to reach a, a very unique uh, section of our population. Just very grateful for what he's doing there. And then um, our people group via the Joshua Project, and you can check that online as we pray for the, the various people groups uh, in our world who need to know Christ. And uh, most specifically this week, we're praying for, I'm trying to find them, they're somewhere. Uh, I see fingers being pointed. Luke and, I say Luke, sorry, Lucy. Lucy and Zach. Lucy is uh, scheduled to have uh, their baby this Wednesday, the 20th. And so I just want to pray very specifically for them and be thinking about them this week uh, as they're going to bring uh, the baby into the world. I just pray for very healthy delivery and uh, looking forward to what God's going to do uh, there and looking forward to how nervous Zach is going to be in the weeks uh, to come. And then, of course, Miss J.D. is still expecting, and she'll uh, mid, uh, mid-February, mid so a few weeks. So praying for Miss J.D. Uh, still good to see David here this morning, David Wilkes. And uh, I think it's okay to see Connor and uh, Paige as well, but mainly old Dave back there. So it's just good to see just a new life in, in our church family. And so just pray for these young families um, and just that, that God would be um, a very high place of honor uh, in those families and that they will come to know the Lord. Well, let's pray this morning. I know there are many other things in our minds and hearts, but let us uh, go to the Lord in a spirit of corporate prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this morning. Thank you for uh, even what you've done already uh, amongst us today as we've gathered to, to worship you, to, uh, to read your word, to uh, exalt Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this baptism. Thank you for Solomon and how you've worked in his life, Lord. Thank you, Lord, um, just for so much. And we thank you, God, that we can come to you uh, with this list and so many other needs on our hearts and minds. And we can trust you, Father, and we can look to you. And even when things don't work out, even the way we pray and the way we hope, that we can look to you and trust you and know that you're working all things together for your glory and for the good of your people. And so we trust you this morning as we pray. And we ask, Lord, that... Um, as we know you that you will, as you promised us, Lord, that the Spirit would pray even on our behalf whenever we lack the words. So we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for all these things that we've mentioned, for all these uh, that need you, Lord, in a very special way this week, even for our country this week, Lord, as it's a, a big week uh, amidst politics. And we just pray that even in the midst of such a um, tumultuous time, Father, that Christ would be exalted and that we as your people would be a fragrance in our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities. May Christ be made much of. In his sweet and precious name we do pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to go from prayer time.
It's me. Is that better? Is that on? All right, there we go. Get all these bugs worked out. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to go with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, as we continue in this last chapter of Hebrews, uh, the 70th week uh, through Hebrews specifically. Um, we have a now a plan to wrap this thing up in the next month or so, uh, I believe by February 21st, if my memory serves me correctly. We'll see if we can stay on schedule. Uh, but we know we're not too concerned about schedule, right? And so we're going to lift up God's Word this morning. Well, let's jump in. As, as you, if you've been with us, uh, either in person or online, you know we've been walking through these first six verses of Hebrews chapter 13 that we'll finish up next week. Uh, so let's just kind of go back to verse 1 there, because all of this is one unit. All of this is one thought here, as we'll see this morning. Uh, about love and about how we worship the Lord and how we worship God and sacrifice and uh, as a sacrifice unto the Lord is how we love those around us and those that God has placed in our life. And so Hebrews 13 1 says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body let marriage be held in honor among all this we were last week and let the marriage bed be undefiled for god will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous and this week brings us to verse five keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So this very, very strong passage has got so much stuff in these six verses. And really, we're only going to tackle about half of verse 5 this morning. We come back next week to, uh, to wrap this up. Because in, 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 in practice, this, uh, these first six verses, they are one unit. And they all ultimately point to one truth. And that truth is pleasing the Lord through, through, through sacrifice, through loving others. Ultimately, as we've seen, how Christ loves the church. Um, and how how our love towards people, love towards the brothers, and love towards strangers, love in marriages. We'll see about love towards money and contentment and all these things, how they point us to the Lord and how they are even litmus tests, if you will, um, of those who are either in Christ or not. And so all of this uh, stems from one theme here uh, as we look at love and worship of the believers. Uh, but we've also taken this time to kind of say, okay, these are some big issues, you know, to talk about sexual morality, to talk about hospitality, to talk about brotherly love. And now this morning to come to this, uh, this issue, this topic of money. Money is, uh, you know, if last week was about sex and this week's about money, we're just covering all the bases, right? And, uh, and it's not even just in our culture today, even in the ancient Greek culture, it was, these were two things that were always kind of tied together to, to talk about sex and money and how they are all consuming in an individual's life. There is nothing new under the sun. We do not struggle with it more than others, although as we'll see this morning, there may be, uh, there may be some differences in our 21st century culture to those who've gone before us. 
But before we kind of dive into what the writer of Hebrews here is saying to the Holy Spirit, uh, there's two things about money I would like us to address. Now, this morning is going to be like the past several Sunday mornings. And as I was talking to someone this past week about kind of uh, to degree how oftentimes we preach, uh, sometimes there's, there's, there's lots of there's, there's scripture that we go to and we, we, lean, we lean on and as we kind of uh, dissect and understand a passage. And then sometimes like this morning, there's a lot of scripture. And so what better way to understand God's word than with God's word? And so I hope you have your Bible fingers warmed up. We have a lot of passages this morning that we're going to get to. But two things I want to talk about before we look at really the heart of our text about the love. Keep your life free from the love of money. That's ultimately what he's saying here is to keep your life free from the love of money. It's really two commands. First one is to keep your life free from the love of money. And second, to be content with what you have. But so as we talk about money, there's two important things. One up, and maybe both obvious. The first of which is this, is that money is not bad. As we, and we often talk about that. We often recognize that. Uh, for those who uh, are familiar with Scripture, we can clear, we, we always point to the fact that the Bible doesn't say money's bad. It says the love of money is bad. As we see in Hebrews chapter 11 here, as we'll see in 1 Timothy in a little bit, but money is not bad. A few passages for us to, to highlight this fact. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 through 18 says this, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. So it says, be careful as you look at your possessions, as you look at your money, as you look at your bank account, be careful that you don't say that that's yours, that's from you. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. So if it is God's power that enables us to get wealth, enables us to get money, enables us to get possessions, then inherently those things are not evil of themselves. So money is not inherently bad on its own, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to her fathers. Ecclesiastes, and if you want a single book that speaks most to wealth and most to that money is not a bad thing and that all that God... Um, uh, calls us and gives us opportunity to enjoy these things. Ecclesiastes is a great book because ultimately at the end, end of it, Solomon, who has all the things, says, you know what, eh, it wasn't worth it. Well, it ain't that big a deal. It didn't provide ultimately pleasure and joy. But Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, everyone, else, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot, and to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So God's called us to work. He's called us to toil, and there is reward in that. And God uses our work. He uses our toil for oftentimes uh, to gain wealth and possessions that ultimately not just for our good, but primarily for his glory. And then lastly, 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. We'll be in 1 Timothy a couple times this morning. But, it's, but Paul says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. And that's important. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So he's given us these things to enjoy. That they are to do good, to be rich ultimately, not in stuff, not in possessions, but ultimately to be rich in good works, it says. To be generous and ready to share, 
thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We'll point us to kind of the end of our message this morning. Uh, what is truly of value? What is truly of worth? It's ultimately not money. It's ultimately not possessions. It's ultimately not bank accounts. It's ultimately not these things, but inherently money is not bad. I think we, we know that and hold to that truth. The second truth that I'd like us to point to this morning, and maybe we, we do kind of get a little fuzzy on this truth. Not only is money not bad, money is not the blessing. Money is not the blessing. And some, some would go as far to say that, that money is never a blessing. And I don't want to dive into that this morning. Uh, I don't fully disagree with it, nor do I fully agree with it. But I can at least say this. Money is not the blessing. It is not the ultimate blessing to which we are to pursue. It is ultimately not the blessing to which God really wants us to have. God does, does bless us, I believe, obviously, because all good things come from the Lord. But money is not the blessing. And that is, that is a lie that we see in our church culture today, that the blessing of God is material wealth, that it's material prosperity, and that if you have stuff, then you are blessed by God. And the opposite must be equally true. If you don't have stuff, then you are not blessed by God. So we cannot attach God's blessings to money. Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So ultimately, true blessings, the truest blessings of the Lord, are not physical. They're not material. It's not money. It's not security. It's not stuff. It is Christ. And He has blessed us in every way, with every spiritual blessing He has given us. So that we lack nothing. We lack none of His blessings because they are all yes in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, then you better change your life. You are blessed, it says. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, then you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. So blessing is even to be insulted. To be blessed, to be blessed is even to, to be ridiculed for the name of Christ. But we don't like that in our culture, right? We, we, don't, we want our rights. We demand our rights. We don't want to be insulted. We want there to be an easy path for our believers. But we see in Scripture that to be insulted for the name of Christ is a blessing. Because it elevates Christ as we humble ourselves. Matthew 13, 16, 17 says this, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. And so blessed is he who hears and sees and receives the word of God. So these are blessings, not, not money, not material, not stuff. But ultimately the blessing is Christ and to know Christ and to be a blessing is to make him known. Luke eleven, twenty-seven to twenty-eight. As he said these things, a woman of the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. That makes good logical sense, right? Blessed is Mary. Blessed is Mother Mary. And there's a whole other group right of the church who would say, How much more blessed is she? But he said this. Blessed rather are those 
who hear the word of God and keep it. So again, blessing is not in stuff. Blessing is not in the physical of this world. Blessing is an ultimate looking to Christ and trusting in Him, looking to His Word and keeping His Word. And finally, the last verse, as we look at that money is not the blessing, is Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Boom, you see, preacher, there it is. The blessing of God makes one rich. No. If you go to Proverbs 10, which you won't do this morning, and you look at all that's happening, and he says, and he adds no sorrow with it, it is the riches, the richness of righteousness that the author is speaking about. Because as, as he who pursues righteousness, that is how the Lord makes one rich. And so, as we'll see this morning, it is the love, the pursuit of money that we are to flee from and that we are to keep our life free from and that we are not to pursue. But I think it's important to understand that money inherently is not bad and it's important to know that money is not the blessing. And so when you have little, not to, to belittle how the Lord sees you. When you have much, not to, uh, to, over, uh, to overestimate your blessing, but to recognize that the blessing is not in money and the money is not bad. And I believe these two truths are needed this morning as we look at this text. So, back to our text in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Holy Spirit says to the anonymous writer of Hebrews, keep your life free from the love of money. That should be easy enough, right? Bible says it, let's just do it. Let's just, let's, let's uh, flee from the love of money. Let's keep our life free from the love of money and let us walk with the Lord. It's no problem, the Bible says it, so let's do it. Well, the question is, as we often ask, is why? Why is, is this in this text? Why is, as part of our sacrifice to the Lord, why is walking with the Lord, why is our worship unto the Lord, why is it connected to money here? Now, we can look at Hebrews chapter 13, 4, and say, okay, we can look at marriage and love and sexual morality. We can clearly see for that not to be a part of our life is honoring the Lord, and we should, should, we should pursue purity. But money, I mean, come on, that's just it's a thing. So why does Scripture, why does God's Word command us to keep our life free from the love of money? Well, let's go to 1 Timothy. Just a couple books over to your left. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We were just in it a while ago. Starting in verse 9. 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Then say those who are rich, but those who desire this love of money, they fall into temptation. You say, well, temptation is not bad. And we've heard that temptation is not sinful. But temptation is what it says next is a snare. It is a trap. So to those, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. They fall into a snare unto many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, many of us, if you've lived long enough, you've known this to some degree. You've known the destructive nature of the pursuit of money at some point in your life, likely. That's exactly what it is. It leads us to, to, to temptation. It leads us to a snare. And before we know it, it leads us to ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now it's important to note here, right? To, to always, anytime we see verses that may would help, may would lead us to something that's not true, that to be trapped in this, this, um, this path of greed and covetousness to this path of temptation towards money, it does not lead someone away from Christ in the sense that it caused them to lose their faith. But it reveals that they never had faith. It reveals they never died to themselves and was raised again in the newness of Christ, like this picture of baptism. Now we know that ultimately that we're still going to struggle with it as Christians, with those who do have the Holy Spirit. But we see this morning, we see in our life that we struggle with these temptations. But if we continue down this path of unrepented covetousness, the unrepented greed, of unrepented love of money, then it will lead to death and destruction. And it reveals that we are not of the Lord, that we have wandered away. That we have revealed that we do not belong to Christ. First John chapter two verse sixteen says, "For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world." So as we think about love of money of greed, of covetousness, of these things that we're, that we're looking at in our text this morning, John clearly tells us this is not of God. And Jesus makes it even more clear for us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's only one throne in our heart. And is it the Lord or is it us? You cannot serve both. So the issue is we look at these texts and say there's so many other in, others in Scripture. And some would say that, that Jesus spoke of money more than any other uh, topic. I don't know if that's particularly true because a lot of times in which he used money was an illustration to point to a greater truth because he knew how much we are connected to money. Whether it's the money of ancient Near East or whether it's the uh, money of the 21st century, whether it's Bitcoin or whatever currency it is, he knows how closely we are attached to it. So he used it for illustration purposes. But it's clear that the love of money of believers is something that we should steer from. The love of money it's something that believers should steer from, should avoid, should flee from. It is a soul-killing cancer. That's love of money. And I believe there are two warnings here as, as we are discovering. One is to the unbeliever. For you cannot belong to Christ and be consumed with greed. Unrepentant greed reveals a lost heart. Unrepentant greed and you can fill that blank in with so many, right? Not just greed, unrepentant sexual morality, unrepentant fill in the blank. Reveals a heart that is lost. And so the warning is to the unbeliever, if that is true of you, then you're not hopeless. There is hope. There is Christ. 
that we recognize our need of a Savior and we look to Jesus and we trust Him for His infinite wealth and value. But also the warning is to the believer. As we fight the temptations of covetousness, we are the aroma of Christ. As we fight this, as we walk this, this, this life and this journey, and we desire to have our life free from the love of money, as we desire to pursue a life of contentment, as we'll see in just a moment, then people don't see us. They see someone greater than us. That is Christ. So as believers, let us recognize any hint in our life that looks like covetousness, that looks like greed, that looks like unfaithfulness in the realm of material possessions. Now let's trust the Lord to strengthen us. And let's make no mistake, right? This is not easy. For easy, we could just say, don't be greedy. <laughs> Flee from the love of money. Be done. But it's not easy. And I would say this is the difference in 21st century from the 1st century, from any other century. That we live in a time in which greed and covetousness is more abounding than ever before. And why is it that way? The sin is not new, but I believe the amount of it is so rampant because of a seemingly harmless degree. Marketing, right? We can say that tongue-in-cheek, but ultimately, and it's the truth. Our culture, not just American culture, our world culture is consumed with marketing. Well, what is marketing? Simply put, marketing is telling you that you want something that you didn't know you wanted five minutes ago. Marketing, if you want some boring numbers here in 2017, was a $9.8 billion industry in the U.S. One year later, it was $12.3 billion in the U.S., and then in 2019, $15.2 billion was spent to tell you what you need that you didn't know you needed. That's a 25% growth year over year. That is a ridiculous amount of money to be spent to sell something that you really probably don't need. And we laugh, right, at the lengths that companies go to, to sell us stuff. And we know that uh, if you had some conversation this morning, before you walk out of here, you're going to look on Facebook, and there's the thing. I've never searched for that. I've never done anything. I, I even thought about it, and there it is. They're good. I don't know how they do it, but they're good. So we are constantly barraged. We're constantly beat up with ultimately covetousness. Hey, look at this shiny thing. Look at this service look at this whatever it is and it starts this vicious cycle of ultimately buying things we don't need with money that we don't have causing us to earn money for things we already bought is that amen or an oh me or oh my it's this vicious cycle that we're not looking to Christ. We're not treasuring Christ for who He is and His infinite value and worth and resting in Him and being content with Him. We're always looking for that next thing. And there are so many reasons, right, for the love of money. Just to name a few, we could talk about security. Ultimately, it's not just about having stuff, but ultimately people... We, we have this love of money that gives us a sense of security. That if I have so much in my bank account, I'm secure. I had a guy tell me uh, a few weeks ago, he said his dad taught him that as 
he should always have enough money in his savings to replace all the tires on all of his vehicles. I'm like, that's good wisdom. I like that. That's good country redneck wisdom right there. I'm not saying the practice is not wrong. But if your practice is to do something, if your practice is to have enough money to take care of yourself and not look to the Lord, then we need to be careful. Because no money in the bank account is going to bring us ultimate security, ultimate rest, and ultimate peace. Our security is in Christ. That has given us wisdom, right? If your tires go out, you may want to have that, <laughs> that fun. That he's, you know, he's, he's told you to save. But you're not looking to it. You're looking to Christ. We have this love of money as a pursuit of self-gratification. I want it, and I want it when? Now. I want it while I go. Two day, i got to wait two days to get something. I want it now. We become impulsive because we're about us, and we have to be careful of this. We have this love of money because of pride. Look at me. Look what I can attain. Going back to our verse from earlier, look at what my hands have created. And maybe the worst of which is self-worth. We have this love of money because of self-worth. Our value is in how much you have. And we know that our value is ultimately more than that. As believers, our value is who we are in Christ. Sons and daughters of a living God. And so don't ever let, let the lack of money in which you have, or the lack of resources, the lack of equity, your lack of net worth, dictate who you are or your value. Don't ever like looking across the street or looking across the aisle or looking anywhere to say, well, I'm not good enough. You're not good enough on your own. You're only good enough because of Christ, because he's made you good enough. As believers, we know that these ideas are at odds with the claim, claims of Christ. We know that Christ is our security. We know that like Christ, we are to deny ourselves and humble ourselves. And we know that our worth is infinitely more than any amount that we could ever attain because we are His. So what do we do? So we know this is the command and we understand the why of the command. We understand the trap of the world in which we live to keep our life free from the love of money. What do we do with that? Two things. One, we often say it, we make war. We make war with our sin. Not with the marketing companies. You don't have to go... Uh, go on strike, go burn them down. You don't necessarily have to physically do other things, but all that may, may help. But we make war in our own heart and our own soul. Colossians 3 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you sexual immorality that we looked at last week, and impurity that we looked at last week, and passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put it to death. Make war with your sin. Recognize that it is a weakness inside of us that we cannot get rid of it ourselves, that we must look to Christ. Like all sin we struggle with, we must make war with it. We recognize that it is in us, that we have this capacity for greed. And I may be wrong, I often am, but I would say it's possibly one of the most overlooked sins in the church. And talking this week to, to the elders is looking at this text and um, forget Evan, maybe Ryan or James has shared some examples of, of other pastors kind of commenting that 
that in all this, this counseling, in all their years, have never once counseled someone who's come in and said, I am a greedy person. I struggle with covetousness. Now, people will come in often, and after 21 years of, of ministry, I can tell you, you counsel people over immorality, you counsel people over uh, anger and pride and all these things, but rarely do we recognize the sin in our own heart of covetousness, of greed, of wanting more. So let's recognize that it is in us. And let's recognize and be so grateful that one day it will not. That when Christ returns and He redeems us and He takes us home, that even this sin, wanting more, will be no more. So what are some signs in our life of the love of money? He said, man, John, you are preaching to my neighbor. <laughs> he needs to hear this. I'm going to take this podcast home and I'm going to say, look, this is what you need to hear. What are some signs that it is true in our life? Just a few practical signs here, a few uh, signposts, if you will. Frivolous and flippant spending. Whenever we are frivolous and flippant with our money, and we're not seeing ourselves as stewards of what God has given us and recognizing. And here's one of the, the false mentalities in the church, right? Tithing. Okay, I've tithed. I've given my 10% down to the penny. Now I've got 90% to go do what I want to. And that is one of the most grievous misunderstandings of money we could have. All of it is the Lord's. 100%. Every penny that you have belongs to the Lord. You do not have a discretionary fund. All of it is God's. And how we spend our money, it is the Lord's. So if we're frivolous and flippant with our money, then maybe we struggle with this in our life. Thinking of it as, as ours, stewardship, not being a good steward of what God has given us, unwise with our use of credit, Hey, it's the American way. Desire for get-rich-quick schemes. Now I'm meddling. Now I'm talking to myself. Been there. Signed up for them. Try to get others to do so. Withholding generosity. Maybe one of the, the greatest signs in our life that we are slow to be generous. We like to think, right, that this lie, that if I just have more money, I will be more generous. And if you've ever received more money in your life, more likely, you weren't more generous. More money does not bring generosity. Looking to Christ and trusting Christ and recognizing what He has done for us, that's what creates generosity. We are generous because He is more generous. We are giving because He's given all. So these are just some simple signs. And there are so many more that we need to be looking in our life, taking stock in our heart and our thoughts, in our steps and make war with this sin. And these are the things that we are to bring captive and bring before the Lord and recognize that it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit do we find freedom. The answer is not Dave Ramsey. The answer is not some Bible study. The answer is not some, and those are great tools, but the answer is the Holy Spirit. Spirit, would you strengthen me? Would you enable me? Would you empower me? But then he gives us another Another point here, not only do we make war with our sin, he says keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. You say, well, preacher, you don't know how little I have. How can I be content with this little bank account? How can I be content with this stuff? How can I be content without this? Philippians 4, verse 11 and 13 says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
Those are powerful words that Paul has said. And Paul, he's gone the gamut, right? He's done all the things. He's been great. He's been low. He's been the guy that people will look to in his Phariseeism. And he's been stranded on islands and in prison. He is... He is Going all over the board, all over the spectrum. But he said, I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. Here's Philippians 4.13 for you. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. First means something a lot different when you kind of read the context, doesn't, you? doesn't it? That I can do all these things. You say, well, how? Isn't it easy to live in abundance? <laughs> isn't it easy to live when the milk and honey's flowing? There may be a greater need to look to Christ when you have more than when you have less. Because when you have more, you're so easy to trust in yourself, right? When you got less, you look to Christ. You're desperate. And that's ultimately a good thing in any of our life to be desperate because it points us to Christ. But Paul is saying, I've learned both. Here's the secret. I love we talk about secrets. Here's the secret, he says. Facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things. I can do these things. I can endure whatever life brings. Not kick a football guaranteed through a field goal, not necessarily to get a promotion, not to fill in the blank, whatever you think it means. I can do all things through Christ. Because I can do these things. I can, I can trust the Lord because He strengthens me. So how do we just be content? Because it says, be content. Pretty simple command. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And to a degree, I think everyone knows the feeling of contentment. At least short-term, short-lived contentment, right? You've had a good meal recently? At the end of it, man, you felt content, right? Have you, bought, have you made a new purchase? Have you done something? Like, man, you, you feel this satisfaction for a short moment, right? But not much longer, you're going to be hungry again. Not much longer, you're going to need something else. There is nothing that truly settles our soul like christ there is an emptiness that all material possessions will bring food new stuff you name it we may know short-lived contentment but the believer knows true contentment because true contentment comes from a deep abiding joy in the presence of god we're going to save it till next week but he ties this in, and this ties into kind of the whole six verses here. To be content with what you have, for he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we have the presence of God. And that brings true contentment, true satisfaction, true fulfillment to have the very presence of God at every point in our life. And it comes from truly believing that Christ is enough. I'll read you from another pastor who said it so well. It says, Thus we see that in order to be free from the love of money, you have to believe 
that what you already have in God is enough. His presence is sufficient. Now let me, just before we end, not saying that stuff is bad. Going back to point number one, right? Money is not bad. Material possessions is not bad. This is not a guilt trip this morning to say that don't go buy stuff and do things and have savings and, and have college plans for your kids and all, all the things that we invest our money in. I'm not saying you can't go buy a boat. I'm not saying you can't do things. God has given us this stuff to enjoy. But let us check our hearts to make sure that He is enough. If we don't get that boat, if we don't have enough for our kids to go to college, if we don't fill in the blank, is he enough? Who knows what this year is going to look like? Last year was, was a great year for some. It was a difficult year for many others in the economic realm thanks to, to COVID. A lot of uncertainty. But is Christ enough? Is he enough in 2021? The answer is yes, he is enough. If we look to him and trust him, Nothing you can ever buy, no amount you could ever save will bring you lasting joy or peace. And I want to close in Ephesians and go into that wonderful book. Chapter 3. I want to read this and I want to pray. We're going to receive communion this morning and thank God, that Christ is enough. But Ephesians 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let us pray. Lord, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this hope. Lord, I thank you that every single one of us, despite our need, our needs in this life, despite our, our struggles and our weaknesses, despite the sins that so easily entangle us, that you are enough. I thank you that we don't leave this place with guilt, but we leave it with hope, looking to the finished work of Christ. As we come to the communion table this morning, may we do so full of hope and joy, remembering the ultimate gift that Christ was on the cross for your people. As we sing, Lord, may we do so with a full and satisfied hearts, for Christ is enough. Help us, Lord, to not just to hear your word, but to receive your word and act upon it. In the name of Christ, we do pray. Amen.